There's nothing wrong with being very competent, right, and very together and very much self-possessed, right? There's nothing wrong with that. The uh, only thing that makes it useful to have the other thing going on, right, is so that in a moment, and this is for the sexual variety or the sexual repertoire, in a moment you can kind of forget yourself, right? So I don't know if you've ever had the experience of being in the middle of sex and completely forgetting who you are or what's happening and just be this, you know, like (laughs) find something in nature that would have that feel to you when you look at it. Like, let's say, a weather pattern or something like that. So then instead of trying to access something that makes you blank, uh, maybe you can enter into that particular disposition through a different portal, is what I'm saying. So you could either enter through the portal of something in nature that makes you feel that way, or you could enter it through memory of that experience, right? Where, where you enter through the portal of that mindless, drunk on cock kind of, you know, um, like, you know, lost it, so to speak, spit flying, hair all over the place, right? Um, that kind of a feeling is the, is the, is the unfolding, right? So you have to go with the unfolding however the unfolding can be unfolded. If it can't be unfolded through, because it's not for a lack of trying, because you do all kinds of stuff, and I know you do stuff with your, the, old, the other stuff that you're doing and everything, right? So it's, if it hasn't unfolded in that way, that's not the way in. And so the, the, the key is to find the access to those moments, and then that comes that that loads up, so to speak, with... Because, you know, the problem, of course, also is... I'm sure you all know this, maybe you don't, that an acti- when an activity is learned, the activity is learned through repetition. Right? It has to be. That's how the human uh, body and the human nervous system learns. So when you learn an activity, like, for instance, when a child first grabs for a cup, right? They don't know yet how to do that. And eventually they hit the thing. And then the brain goes, ha, you know, and then eventually, you know, now I don't even think about it. But whatever emotion was loaded into that particular pattern reloads every time you do the pattern, right? So if you, if you have start, tried to access certain things and you fuzz out every time that happens, that will reload the next time you do it and the next time you do it. And it becomes useless to tread that path right because it's just it has all this connotation so you have to just leave that path well enough alone and find a different access point and then load that access point with positive emotions and associations Mm -hmm. and so when you think of the the hour in Amsterdam and what it took because you knew you couldn't keep it up for an hour with the usual let's give them a five-minute blowjob before we have sex kind of, you know, technique, then um, that's a good access because you did it and it was probably great and you did it for him and it probably did an amazing heart-opening, you know, mind-blowing job for him, so to speak, right? And so then it loads up with that feeling of devotion and that feeling of commitment towards that part of your relationship, and that will make it so you're not fuzzing out. Yeah, well, that's why you'll access it in practice outside of the sexual occasion, and then you have it in the sexual occasion, and eventually it will start unfurling in the rest of your life when you choose to. There are certain activities during which that is not recommended, (laughs) you know, Business meetings, for one, yes. Uh, driving small children to school, uh, you know, things of that nature. But then there's areas where you could play with that a bit. But the way in is through the portal of the memory of something where you had it and where you had it in the right set of circumstances. Anger is a difficult thing to consider because 
what you are saying here is right, right? It is a destructive set of circumstances. So you being angry in the, in the presence of someone doesn't have good outcomes. It just doesn't. Nobody wants to be screamed at. Nobody wants to be raged at, you know, regardless if they've done something wrong or not. Nobody wants to be punched or screamed at or scratched or uh, deal with somebody who's completely out of control. That's, that's a given, right? And so as important as it is that you are capable of being with your own anger and expressing your own anger, there's a big caveat, and that is that most anger directed at another human is abusive. And so all the bullshit about how women should anger, be angry at their men so that the men straighten out is essentially spoken by men who have fried nervous systems, unbelievably fried nervous systems. I know several of them who uh, you know, are ex-alcoholics and, and other you know, assorted uh, drug users who, who've spent their entire life taking people's anger for no reason whatsoever other than dogma. And it's very, very important to understand that anger is anger, and that means it's violent. Now, that's not to say that that you don't want to learn how to be with anger and express anger, but you do need to know that when you express anger towards somebody else, it is violence, even if you don't hit him. But screaming at somebody in a certain way is like hitting somebody in a certain way. And you know that if you've ever been on the receiving end of anger. That's why I'm saying there's a caveat. You don't direct the anger against somebody. You get it out. But ideally with nobody present other than maybe a therapist who is very clear and and also trained on the fact that the anger is not directed at them. Because I can tell you one thing which is very interesting having been a therapist for many, many years and having dealt with very, very, very angry people. I'll tell you a story later about my anger highlight experience, (laughs) which is a very funny story in a certain way. Uh, But even if you are aware that the anger isn't directed at you and you're in a room with somebody who gets their anger out, your, your nervous system reacts exactly as if you are being violated, right? It's, you all know that because so many of you have been in rooms where people got angry and it's like that your, your, your system loads up threat, fight or flight kicks in. So that said, it's very important that you are in touch with your anger. It's very important that the anger is not directed at anyone. Oh, definitely not inward. Yes, definitely not inward. And so I'll explain all of the mechanisms in a second. But that's the important thing to know is uh, anger is, is a violent, abusive thing. And there's no spiritualizing that. That's going to make that any less so when you look at the body and the somatic trauma patterns in a human's body. And when you look at people who expose themselves to to anger, willingly or unwillingly, and what happens to their nervous systems. And you can always tell when people have these shredded nervous systems. So that said, there's two kinds of anger. There's the anger, which is a primary reaction, meaning somebody does something and it angers you. Rightly or wrongly is not the point. So that's that, that's, that's primary reaction. Secondary reaction is I hurt you and you feel pain. Like I say something cruel to you and it goes, ouch! And then you go, fuck you, right? So if you would react, right? You're, you're probably not reacting, but stuffing it. But the feeling is, ouch, hurt, and then an, an outwardly angry or inwardly, depending on what it is, expression against the pain. So that's a secondary reaction. So it's very important because a, a primary reaction is being dealt with one way. A secondary reaction needs to be dealt with another way. All old, pent-up, non-current, stuffed stuff needs to be dealt with in a separate way. 
So there's three categories, right? So if you have old anger and old resentment, there's two ways to go, and usually it's best to do them parallel. Actually, there's three ways to go go if we want to be very, very precise. So number one, you go see somebody, ideally a therapist. right? Um, so you go see somebody, so you define what it is that you're angry about, and you define what's primary and what's secondary. Parallel to that, you... Um, work on the body in a somatic way. There is therapists who do both, right? They do somatic work while they're doing talk talk work, where you track and trace how anger arises in your body and how you stuff it and where you stuff it and what are the mechanisms, the coping mechanisms of stuffing it. Right? Maybe you get super effective or you get very quiet or you get very sleepy, or a combination of, you know, however, whatever it is. So you, you trace the coping mechanisms in the body, and uh, you work with no longer doing these coping mechanisms. All the while, you do things that release old pent-up stuff in your body. And you can do that passive or active. Passive, you do body work somatic body work where somebody works on you and gets it out of your body or active you do something like hit shit with a nerve bat or something like that which is mostly useless unless it's done in the context of that kind of therapy or you can do something like nonlinear movement which you've done here with me where you let the body unwind it and you might be screaming you might be shouting you might be crying or nothing might happen you know and you might go numb and you'll have to move through the numbness for a while that's all all of those are options right that's to get the sediment of the old anger out because it's not anger that you can express anymore. So meaning, if you go up to one of your siblings and you suddenly start unpacking this stuff, you know, in an angry fashion, the, the only thing that's going to happen is they'll get hurt, you both get traumatized, and they'll think you're insane. And they'll come at you in some way to shut you down. Right? Because to them, it's like, what the fuck's wrong with you suddenly? Right? And, and because anger is not an accepted emotion societally, and it's also not an accepted emotion from a therapeutic, traumatic viewpoint, it's not a workable situation. But if you've worked your anger through your system, either somatically or mentally, psychologically, then you have the chance to do the thing that comes after, which is setting a proper boundary. Because the thing that gets you angry is the violation of your boundary, right? Whatever that boundary is, don't scream at me or don't do this to me or don't treat me like this, where you have a boundary, but that boundary might not be communicated or even if you communicated it, it's not being heeded for a number of reasons. And that's usually true with family, right? Families are famous for trespassing on people's boundaries. Right? Uh, that's just the way it goes among siblings for the most part. So with the, with the engagement, with the anger, you'll get to feel what your primary reaction is. And then based on that and learning how to set the boundary, you can, you can set the boundary and it has the anger component, but it comes out not as violence, but as appropriate boundary setting. Right there we come back to the no with the open heart, so to speak, right? Where where you feel that that ah, but instead of going ah, or instead of going uh, right, you just go up. Uh, 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 and you hold steady at your preferred boundary. And then you don't have to get angry because you're not being violated. And but you also don't have to violate someone else in an attempt to not be violated. And so that's how you play with it. Because mm -hmm. uh, it's equally important. Well, it's more important that your own nervous system doesn't get fried, so to speak. But it's also important that you don't do more damage somewhere else because that's, that has backlash, of course, massive backlash uh, within yourself, internally and externally.
So those are some considerations around anger. Then if it's a, a secondary reaction, the other thing to consider is to come to the primary reaction and work that through your system and acknowledge that in your system. Meaning if the anger is a reaction to hurt, then you want to get to a place where you can actually process the hurt and once again probably set a boundary or express something so that it doesn't transform into anger. Because the thing is, if I do something to you that I didn't mean to do, but right, I was careless or I, or I was ignorant, and you snap at me, it has a very different feeling in my body, meaning I'll, I'll have to, you know, essentially push you back and defend myself. Then when you start crying, you know, because if I make you cry, everything in me is going to go, oh, shit, I didn't want that. Oops, right? And then I will ask, what happened? You know, I'm sorry, what can I do? Versus if you go, ah, and I'm like, well, fuck you then, right? Even though it was my fault. That's just how humans are. So in the secondary reaction of anger, the, the key is to learn how to trace that primary reaction and then express either express the primary reaction because it is for the most part appropriate to show hurt right showing hurt isn't getting other people hurt uh, but showing uh, rabid anger is is always a violent expression right so plus it's not true you're not angry you're hurt so it's actually not the I don't want to say authentic because it's, of course, all authentic, but it's not the original um, emotion and sensation that comes through you. And so learning how to come to the original sensation also allows you to communicate to that person what really needs to be communicated, which is ouch. You, know. you can untangle these things, right? Because when they're not in these tight little packets, but a little bit unpacked, you can go, oh, when my siblings call me, this is what's really happening. I'm afraid it will hurt again. I haven't recovered from the last hurt. I'm still pissed because I was hurt. I've never communicated the hurt or the anger. I don't want to put myself there. But I also can set a boundary because I'm now in a situation where I have to connect with them, which is a violation in itself. And blah, 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 right? So, so it it just it it becomes this ball of things. None of these strategies that we just talked about are uh, appropriate in business. In business, you have to suck it up, and and the reason for that is that there is so much at stake in yeah. on so many domains that your natural emotional expression is pretty much never appropriate, right? Uh, for reasons that have nothing to do with it not being appropriate from a psychological standpoint, but from a strategic standpoint, from the standpoint of keeping a job, from a standpoint of a company culture, from the standpoint of what happens to you when you do those things, it's barely ever a good idea. Yeah, no, these things are very, very uh, difficult, right? Because there's, there's something to be said about being able to express anger. And, of course, anger is wired to passion, right? It comes from the same place. So you often hear people go, well, you can only be as passionate as you can be angry. That's certainly true, except that passion versus anger as far as destructive force isn't anywhere, you know, it's apples and oranges. What's very important is that it's not a bypass, right? There's lots and lots and lots of uh, ways to bypass one's actual emotions, spiritual, societal, religious, uh, you know. The first impulse is never forgiveness, right? When somebody hits your toe with a hammer you're not going, I forgive you. So the, the first response when I hit your toe with a, hanger, uh, with a hammer is, ouch. The second response is, fuck you, get away with that hammer, right? And then 
you have to deal with the subsequent emotions. Let's say I'm an aggressor, right? And I come at you with a hammer, right? It's not just an accident, right? And you were violated by me, by me causing you pain on the toe, right? And then you defended yourself against me, which is what the secondary reaction is. The secondary reaction is a defense, right? So in that case, you pushed me away and I left with the hammer, right? Let's just say, you don't know who I am. You can't find me. You go to the police. Uh, you know, they take a report. You go to the hospital. They fix up your toe. The next thing that happens is the the trauma and the violation of that event, right? And that goes through stages, everything from the, the, if you are healthy and you know what you're doing, what actually happens is the body starts reacting and you start shaking and you start crying and it shakes it out of the body and then your nervous system resets. That's the best and optimal way. But that barely ever happens because usually you have to suck it up and then you have to talk to the doctors and then you have to talk to the cops and da, 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 da. And by the time, you know, that's all done, that primary release mechanism of the body, which is a, you know, is, it's a somatic release, has passed. Now you're stuck with it. Now what's going to happen is you're going to feel unsafe. Every time you see a hammer, you get triggered. Uh, every time you see a woman with red curly hair, you get triggered. You hear an Austrian accent, you're triggered, right? <laughs> so now you, you develop all kinds of stress triggers that spike your system. And then you have to deal with that. And then you're going to get angry about the unfairness of it because what the fuck, right? And then, it, and all of that has to happen till you come around to, hey, Okay, that all really sucks, but you know what? I'm kind of done with this taking up mental space, and I've gotten it out of my body. So God knows what befell her, but for my sake, I'm going to forgive her. So there's all kinds of ways where you could end up at reconciliation, but reconciliation is, the, is one of the last things that happens and not one of the first things that happens. Right. And that's important so that the course of the release can be observed. Now, you don't have to hold that grudge for longer than necessary, and you can orient your entire exploration towards the reconciliation. Right? You could say, I, at the end of this process, I want to be able to forgive, which is almost always appropriate. Very few uh, instances where that's not appropriate. Right? There is some, but very, very few. So if you hold the reconciliation at the end of the process, you you have pointed yourself towards a north star, so to speak. And things like forgiveness or devotion, right? The service in being in service of someone, those are very beautiful north stars because they hold within themselves a certain kind of a bodily disposition that makes it easier to go through the steps and that also makes it so you don't get stuck in self-pity or vindictiveness or things of that nature because you're oriented towards something greater than yourself. So I think reconciliation is a very beautiful thing to consider, but not as a bypass. You don't go, here is the other cheek, slam, oh, I love you, thank you. Thank you for the valuable lesson. Everything has a reason. This is for the best of everyone, right? Um, and all that bullshit, right? Because that's bullshit. Can it turn out that in the process of you going through all the things you go through, you learn something that's really, really valuable and makes you a better human being? Let us hope so. But that's not how it starts out. Everything of that nature has a price, right? And, you know, these are very, very dicey issues to speak about because so much is woven into that, right? Because when we really look at this from a, from a big view, there was a reason originally why women didn't do business the way men did business, right? 
And it turned out to become discrimination because that's how it goes, right? And it was like, oh, little women, you know, shouldn't be in business. But there was originally a reason because no woman in their right mind would object herself to such shit, right? But we did because we wanted to have equal rights to the men we're working with. But if you were left to work with, let's say, people in the environment you were in, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have to suck up if, it were, if you could um, curate that environment. Right? You'd go, that's not good. I don't want to do that. You know, but then, of course, you're going to run into, well, then the business isn't going well, or then I can only hire women, or you know, whatever it is that then happens. But originally, in the, in, in the original consideration, the reason why women didn't do the jobs men did is because they, there's no reason to do those jobs, you know, from a bodily, emotional well-being, female health. Now there are studies out on this, right? One of the reasons why there is not nearly as many women in leadership as there is men is partly, of course, because of discrimination, but it's partly also because very few women are willing to pay that price. Because why, right? It, it's, it's not apparent why you would do that to yourself. Like you're saying, you did it, you stuck up for yourself, you took care of business, and now you're going, shit, I'm totally disconnected. Right? And so at that particular moment in time, when that disconnection has happened, there is ways to remedy that and still stay at work and stay in the job. Uh, I'm going to just say that, right? But it's not always the apparent choice. And I know lots of women who were CEOs are very, very famous that, that also fame has a similar set of circumstances, who eventually went and said, I'm stepping out. I don't care how much they pay me. I just don't want to feel that bad in my body, mind, and soul. So that said, we are in, this, in that situation uh, where we can be in those positions, but we pay a really, really high price, having to deal with corporate structures, having to deal with you know, the, the powers that make it so a more organic, nonlinear, body-connected um, approach can't be expressed in business because business follows rules that are not the rules of women. That said, you can do it if you counteract it. But you have to counteract it. And you have to counteract it daily because... Of course, as we were just saying, the repetition of the sucking it up, of the toughing it out, of the setting the boundary, of the striving in a certain way makes it so it becomes primary, primary rut, so to speak, right, in your system, in your nervous system. And the soft, connected, relaxed, open, flowing, creative part of you atrophies. It's not lost. That I can tell you. It's not lost at all. It's just not exercised. And so you can go and kick ass with the best of them. And I highly recommend it because there is something really good about forging your own way. But then you have to come home and you have to spend the weekends and the mornings and any time you can um, softening your body and reconnecting with the parts of you that are innately yours and innately feminine so to speak and the thing is you don't have to worry because it's your native disposition right that's the good thing which what was your first language do you still understand hindi so do you think you will ever forget hindi that's how that is you're never going to forget that which you're born with which is very feminine and very connected and very... It's just, if you don't speak Hindi for a while, you forget about Hindi, right? And then somebody comes by and speaks Hindi to you and it reloads an entire universe, right? Smells, sounds, tastes, the touch of somebody. It's right there. And it's like that with your own feminine disposition. It's gone nowhere. It's just, you you know, nobody's come by and spoken it. And then once, you ha- once you've found that thread in, and that's 
pretty much what we're doing here. Yeah, so you found the breadcrumbs that lead down the path to what's always been there, right? And it's not lost, you're just, you're just finding the little path down, you know, you're following the little thread, and there it is. And the nice thing about things that are native to you is that they're, they're sitting there untouched, right? They don't degrade at all. It just load them back up and then they're available. And then what you have to do is once you found it, so to speak, and you have it in your body again, then you go work and then you go home and you find it. All right? And then you go work and you go home and you find it. And then in a very short period of time, usually I would say three to six weeks, you, you automatically can reset when you want to. And then you have it both available. And then it is like you speak Hindi and English. Right? And you know there's sometimes a little bit of when you speak both at the same time, it does some weird thing to your brain right, and to your tongue. But that's, that's the worst glitch that you're going to have, that there will be a little bit of an overlap between the two languages, so to speak. But with a little bit of practice, you can fluidly flip back and forth as needed. No. And and that's then then you're you know you're good, then you can go and kick some major ass if you choose to, or you can decide to leave. No, but it's coming from a place of freedom and not from a place of deficiency. Yeah, of course, all business is built on the premise of killing something, right? The premise of hunting something and killing something for gain, and so. And that, those are the rules of business. And that's how business is done. Otherwise, it's not business. And that's why I'm saying it's such a dicey issue and you have to be so careful for political correctness, for proper understanding and all of those kind of things. Because when I say this, I'm not saying women shouldn't do business. But you have to understand that the act of going into an office and working with other people on a common goal that has to do with achieving things, beating out the competition, making money, winning, you know, killing things. That's why they say I made a killing in business. That particular activity, regardless if it is performed by a man or by a woman, doesn't matter, is a masculine activity. And it follows certain rules. And the rules are objectivity. Keeping cool and not having emotions involved. Keeping your emotions to yourself, not showing weakness, which fakes out the enemy and makes your allies more confident in their ability to, to win, right? I mean, there's reasons for that. That's, that's, that's like saying, I want to play tennis, but I don't want to use a racket. Well, you're playing fucking tennis. If you don't want to play tennis, if you don't want to use a racket, don't play tennis, Right? That, that, that's, it's clear cut. If you want to do business, you have to have a racket, so to speak. <laughs> it turns out to be a good double entendre, but, <laughs> but those are the laws of business, right? And if you want to make a living with your business, you're going to have to follow the rules of tennis and you have to have a racket. That's the thing. And that's what's so tough to deal with is that's the only way we do business. If we don't want to do business, then we can do it in a feminine way. Meaning we could create a set of circumstances where people barter, right? And it's all cooperative um, and uh, non-linear and nobody shows up to meetings because they didn't feel like it or they had their period or um, somebody was crying and somebody was angry and there was no chocolate so we couldn't go to work today. <laughs> Fuck it, right? My chicken was injured so I had to stay home. That We can do that but then we can't expect that to feed us, right? That's just the way it goes and I know people and I know women who have chosen to not participate in that particular set of circumstances, but then they have to have other people who do participate in that, mm -hmm. right? Because, you know, it's all good and nice to say, 
I'm making this up, but this is one scenario, right? I just flow from thing to thing because I have a good divorce settlement, right? That's somebody did the killing, right? You, and, and you are benefiting from that killing. That's fine, but that's not the same as, um, you know, letting the universe take care of you wherever you flow. That's, you know, something that some people do as well. That's called a hippie. Um, you know, meaning there is people who just, you know, there is people, particularly in Ojai, there's lots of people, it's like the universe provides. Well, typically what happens is somebody who can't deal with the utter chaos and issues that arise from the universe providing provides for that person. Right? We used to have a girl living up the road here on the, on the swimming hole who was camping there. Right, because the universe provides. So somebody provided her a tent. So the universe provided her a tent, and then uh, some other part of the universe provided her with sustenance because she had none and she was starving up there. And then the universe provided her with a guy who knocked her up, who also didn't have anywhere to be. So then more universe in the form <laughs> of some Ohio women helped her as she gave birth at the freaking creek up there. And the universe brought her diapers and the universe brought her this and the universe brought her that. But guess what? That was, those were people who went to work. Right? And they had the money to pay her to pay for the onesie and the medical care and the tent and the this and the that. So somebody's got to pay. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it can be you, it can be somebody else, but somebody's got to pay. And so it's, it, it's very important to be honest about that and honor it for what it is. You don't want to participate in business, don't. But it's not the business's fault. Right? And it's not the people who run the business who are ultimately evil. It's just those are the rules of business. I'll tell you the anger story quickly and then we'll take a break because it's such a good story. So I had this, these clients and they were very, very, very wealthy. And they were very, very, very angry. She was very, very, very angry at him and for reasons entirely understandable. And the... And they were pretty much on the way to divorce, and I was brought in to sort things out. And the subject of her anger came up, and what it essentially boiled down to, I mean, the, the, the subject was an affair. But we were in the middle of this long-winded conversation about how this all had played out and what she was particularly upset about. And what she was particularly upset about was that he had bought her a very specific, very, very expensive diamond-encrusted and diamond-filled watch. And he bought his mistress a lesser model of the same watch. Yeah, that's pretty shit, right? Yeah. But in the midst of this unraveling, she suddenly got out of the chair... And she grabbed the watch. We're talking about a half a million dollar watch. Right? She, we, she grabbed the watch and she pulled it off her wrist. And she put it, they lived in a massive English mansion and they have these fireplaces that are about the size of the store. I don't know if you've ever seen these, these massive fireplaces. And so she flings the watch into the fireplace, which is empty, into the hearth of the fireplace. And she grabs the poker and she smashes this thing into a million pieces while screaming on top of her head. And there's diamonds flying everywhere. <laughs> like, you see them, like, you know, just going everywhere. And, and she, is, she, she beat that thing into a pulp. And she felt good for about three minutes. <laughs> and then it started again. Because... That kind of anger doesn't relieve itself by destruction or violence, right? But it was a sight to behold, and it took everything I had. This was 15 years ago or so, right? It took everything I had not to go look for the diamonds later. (laughs) You know, in my mind, I had like this visual of me scurrying around in the fireplace looking for the diamonds, because it was just like so insane, the, the, the whole thing. But I'm saying this to say, 
one could say that was a therapeutic moment, but it really wasn't actually. It was just highly destructive. And she had that moment of release, and five minutes later, the whole thing had reloaded again. You know, mm-hmm. and, and it didn't actually. And now she felt really, really bad and guilty and also very sad because she loved that watch and, you know, and all of that. So, so, so nothing... Well, I shouldn't say nothing good comes from anger, but it's sadly not true linearly that having a big cathartic experience cleans you out. I mean, we're in amongst women here. Men have their versions of that. But amongst women, it's a very common thing that we either dumb ourselves down or we're constantly told we're too much or scary or too intense or all of those kind of things. But there's always somebody complains about something we're doing, essentially, right? And it's a, and you are right, it is an artistic choice, but it's and it's a double-edged sword in a certain way, or there's two sides to this equation is another way you could say it. Now, people fall into this trap one way or another. Um, on one end, I think it is very, very important that you can meet people where they're at. And I think that's a sign of both maturity and compassion, Mm-hmm. And also a certain mastery of your energy system mm-hmm. where you are capable of... Who was here? Who, who, is a, who is the math professor in the room? Where are you? There you are, right? So you're teaching young adults, I'm assuming, or you're teaching university or, or school? University, right? So, so th- that's a perfect example because people come into university and they're not fully formed. And... And you have vast knowledge and you have to somehow manage to deliver that knowledge in a way that a fully, not fully formed human can approach it, right? Then, and, and so if you would be teaching math to first graders, you would have to present the material in a drastically different way, right, than university. Yes. That makes sense to everybody, yes. right? Everybody can understand that her genius and her knowledge and her brilliance has to be adjusted so it can be received. That's a little bit like when a six-year-old asked me how babies are made and when a uh, 18-year-old or, or a 30-year-old asked me about sex, my answer better be different. <laughs> Right? Otherwise, I'm a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a nasty freak if I go, well, you know, your dad has this big cock. And, uh, you know, like you don't do that. But some people do, and they call it their truth. So, and you've got to be very careful there because your truth is a weapon. And it's very, very self-involved to have to, uh, bl- you know, like club people with your, tru- with your truth if they can't handle your truth as it is useless for a professor of math to bring out complicated equations to somebody who just sat down for the first time, right? It's, it's not only not useful, it's actually kind of mean, right? Because you're setting them up for failure. And that's certainly true when you need to make deep tantric eye contact with somebody's 92-year-old grandmother, Right? That's just weird shit. And she didn't sign up for that. And so when you force people to take your truth, you're essentially serving them things that they didn't want. And if you're somewhat honest, and certainly that takes a bit of honesty, is then you will, and you look back, then you'll see that the things that were your God honest truth uh, five years ago are kind of cringeworthy now, right? When you really, really are honest about it. I mean, the shit that I used to believe to be true, right? I'm like, oh my God, I said that publicly in a workshop. (laughs) And I have in the last couple of years, particularly, I have retracted a lot of things publicly, right? Where I remember once in Amsterdam in a workshop, a guy says, well, I heard you say on a recording, blah, blah, blah. And I had to say, yeah. Uh, I no longer believe that, right? And the whole room was like, it was like some bomb had gone off, right? <laughs> uh, but, but that's actually, it's healthy. You want to evolve. And in science, right? And I'm sure it's true in math. I don't know anything about math. That's the way you don't want shit to stay the same, right? You want to develop them. And, and so that all said, 
your truth to, to bludgeon somebody with your truth is kind of a violent act. However, if you've never individuated enough to have a truth, you're going to just shape yourself into whatever form, like you said, the shape of the container. And so there's usually a moment in every person's evolution where their truth becomes the really important thing, right? Because they have to develop that, that muscle, that body. And then hopefully you can go, well, now I know who I am. Now I don't need to insist and cram that down everybody's throat. Yes, well, that's a different story, right? So there is the knowing who you are and being formed. Then the art form is to give off yourself in the appropriate colors and textures and flavors so that other people are enlivened by you. So that means some people get 90% of the truth, some people get 1% of the truth, right? And that becomes the art form is how do you give of yourself without compromising yourself, right? And the, the important piece is that you learn how to give off the truth without, you know, cutting a piece of your flesh off with it because that's, that's the martyr aspect that has to be disciplined where you learn how to not compromise the very core values of, of that truth, so to speak, right? But that's where boundaries come in and energy management. So you need to know where the hard boundaries are and you need to know in your body when you are depleted. And so the sign of uh, compromise, you being compromised, not you compromising, but you being compromised is the loss of energy. Yeah. Right? And we all know that one, I assume. Right? So when you, when you feel loss of energy, then you have compromised yourself. It's not the other person's problem. It's your problem. Right? And so that's, that's how you learn how to regulate that, is when you feel that leak, that energy leak, that loss, that you know, of the balloon. Then, then you know that. Right? Then the thing is, you have to find a few people who get you, with whom you can, right? with whom you can be fully you so you can replenish in the company of people for whom you don't have to shape yourself all the time. That's not to say that you're inconsiderate and that there isn't moments where it requires some maneuvering, but you do need a tribe or at least one person. From, I, most people I know have only one or two people, right? If you're really lucky, that's the person you're intimate with, but that's exceedingly rare. Uh, but you should have somebody with whom you can let it all hang out, so to speak. And then that's... That's the, re the replenishment and the refreshing of the system. Sometimes the artistic offering is the unabashedly being yourself, right? Because the, the thing is, we had a conversation that was, we had a, a call scheduled that had to do with some business. So it wasn't her and I having some, you know, it just happened that that took three minutes and then we started talking. And then four hours later, we were still talking, right? Because... Her unabashedness and my particular disposition potentiated in a very specific way that made for a certain kind of a conversation. And so that's how you, that's how you can do it. It's like there's an opening, you fill the opening. If the opening gets bigger, you fill the opening some more, right? And then, and then ideally as you fill the opening, that opens you. And that's the genius of a good, you know, of a good set of circumstances. I have one client who I spend an enormous amount of time with, like three, four hours a day for five days a week for a couple of years, like, like very, very, very intense. And every single time in those two years, I left those meetings feeling more of myself. Like feeling like who I was was used fully and potentiated through that client's reception. And I could give everything I had fully to that person. 
And in return, that person saw me and felt me and received things and worked with things in a way that made me give more. So that's one of those unabashed moments, right, where uh, you potentiate each other in a way mm -hmm. that it's extremely fruitful. And that can go on for a long time. At some point, usually you come to a point where that's temporarily exhausted and then, you know, there has to be rest Uh, and then you do it again. Like, for instance, Steve and I have that kind of relationship. It's an, it's an extremely potentiating, creative engagement that has, ever since we started working together, only increased more and more and more and more and more in all different dimensions uh, because it's that kind of an unabashed giving of yourself. But that's rare, Right. Uh, but how you do it is you give a bit, if it's being opened and received, you give a bit more and a bit more and a bit more. And then you have yourself a ball game. Okay. <laughs> Most people suffer from that feeling of never being completely gotten or understood or met, right? It's not easy to find somebody who can do that for you, but it's definitely worth pursuing, you know, because it's great when it happens. Uh, but it is a lonely... Like, Being, being you is a lonely place because there's nobody like you. That's true for everyone, right? And the best we can hope for is people who are kindred. Oh, and if you're lucky, you find a few kindred spirits that you can play with. But it is an intricately uh, difficult and, and, and lonely place. Thank you for listening to the Michaela Bohm podcast. Michaela's first book, The Wild Woman's Way, published by Atria, Simon & Schuster, is available in hardcover and audiobook. To pre-order your copy, click the link in the show notes below.